Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. Weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us through your podcasting streams or whatever you're listening to us on. Big show coming up, Dave Reynolds to join us from Erebus Motorsport after what was a fairly indifferent uh, Darwin, Hidden Valley for Erebus. We'll find out what the story is there. We'll also speak to Kevin Fitzsimmons about the Dunlop tyre. Kevin uh, is the operations manager for Dunlop and we'll find out exactly where that is at and how much they've got for the remainder of the year. Do they have enough tyres left for the rest of the year in this pandemic situation? We'll find out all about that and more. First of all, let's head off to the news and Lewis Hamilton has broken Michael Schumacher's record for the most podium finishes in Formula One history. His victory in Spain moving him to outright first with 156 podiums. Hamilton led every lap from pole position and at Catalonia, lapping everyone bar fellow podium members Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas. Having extended his lead on the top of the Drivers' Championship now to 37 points, Hamilton beaming after the race. It feels absolutely incredible. I feel brand new today. Uh, so hot out there and so challenging, but the, the tyres were the biggest, the biggest challenge today. But I was really able to remain in a... a I was just in, in a zone that I don't remember the last time I was in that one so it was it's hard to explain it but it felt fantastic out there and what an incredible result uh, considering we you know we come to even hotter conditions here. Max Verstappen backed up his win at Silverstone with a second place finish in Spain retaining his marginal lead ahead of Bottas in the Drivers' Championship. Red Bull remained the only genuine opposition to Mercedes this season Verstappen having overtaken Bottas just moments into the race back in the garage. The Dutchman happy with the outcome. Yeah it was decent I think uh, we had a good start into Tour 1 um, from there was, I initially of course tried to keep up with Lewis but uh, he was just a bit too quick and um, yeah, from there onwards, we basically just followed our, our strategy and I could keep Valtteri behind, which is positive, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, second is good. Uh, maybe more than good because we split the two Mercedes cars. So um, yeah, overall, uh, a good weekend again. 
And Valtteri Bottas has claimed he lost three kilos of body weight while in his Mercedes during the Sunday race, blaming the black overalls recently adopted by his team. Mercedes have rebranded, rebranded, I should say, with black cars and overalls as part of their ongoing diversity message, but Bottas was heard complaining of rising heat into the team radio mid-race. Team boss Toto Wolff had previously declared the switch has had little or no effect on the car's cooling mechanisms. Sebastian Vettel looks increasingly likely to join Racing Point for the 2021 season. Confirmation of that could come as soon as the Belgium Grand Prix. Vettel is currently without a team for next season. Carlos Sainz already confirmed as his replacement at Ferrari. Vettel was spotted with Racing Point principal Otmar Safnauer in Spain with Italian newspapers reporting a three-year deal with the team has been agreed upon. To Supercars, Jamie Winkup has bounced back from a heavy crash in qualifying to claim the Supercars Darwin Triple Crown title on Sunday. Winkup finished second behind Scott McLaughlin in Sunday's early race, but turned the tables later in the day to claim the 120th win of his career. The victory saw Winkup close the Drivers' Championship gap on McLaughlin to 101 points. Chas Mostert left the weekend in third place. Supercars driving standard advisor Craig Baird has dismissed Fabian Coulthard's allegations of dangerous driving against Jamie Winkup. Coulthard alleged Winkup's pit box release caused him to slow down during the race on Sunday, posting evidence of a minor collision on social media. Baird, however, stated that as Coulthard was not entirely within the fast lane during the incident, he was obliged to give Winkup the right of way. Scott McLaughlin's win in race 14 at the Darwin Triple Crown has seen him draw level now with the late Peter Brock on 48 career supercar wins. He now trails only Winkup, Craig Lowndes, Mark Scaife and Garth Tander for all-time victories. The Kiwi could be expected to move past Tander into fourth in the near future. Tander's 55 career wins now well within his sight. Sam Van Gisbergen and Nick Perkat have settled their differences following their first race crash at the Darwin Triple Crown. Perkat claiming Van Gisbergen was having a Shane day and that his conduct was laughable at the collision. The latter later hit with a drive-through penalty for his actions. Van Gisbergen claimed he was unfussed by Perkat's comments and that his apology had been accepted on Saturday evening. Shell V-Power Racing duo Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard have found time between Darwin's supercars doubleheader for a friendly hit of cricket. The pair played with some of the Northern Territory's finest cricket talent at the DXN Arena with DXN Technology, a sponsor of both Shell V-Power Racing and NT Cricket. The match helped drive Darwin's push to be the home of winter cricket in Australia. McLaughlin with more. Uh, yeah, it went alright. I let go of the bat at one point, so that was that wasn't my finest hour. But um, yeah, look, had a lot of fun. It brought back a lot of memories of school and you know playing you know cricket in lunch times and stuff like that. And just wanted to keep going. So yeah, it's it's bloody hot up here though, so it'd be difficult for some of these guys. Yeah, I, for me the weekend was up and down. I was very disappointed with myself on Saturday. I made a mistake and really cost us probably the round win in some ways because we were very. Uh, you know, if we had stayed where we were in the first race, we probably would have um, had a chance at the triple crown. So. Unfortunately, with my mistake, I put my hand up, but to bounce back the next day and basically have a perfect day almost, um, you know, two poles and a win in a second, um, was a big bounce back, and you know, hopefully we can carry that momentum into this weekend. Andre Davizioso has claimed his first win of the MotoGP season just a day after announcing he'll depart Ducati at the end of the campaign. The Italian finished ahead of Johan Mur and Australian Jack Miller in Austria, but the race was marred by an ugly clash on lap nine between Franco Morbidelli and Johan Zarco. The pair's flying bikes narrowly avoided Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales, with Rossi particularly lucky to avoid disaster. Oh, 
What's happened here? Oh, oh a huge crash. Oh, goodness. That is me. Franco Morbidelli. What happened here? Top of the screen. Top of the screen. They've made contact. Oh. Zarco comes around and he's going to try and take a defensive line. Morbidelli's fine. Oh, oh, Rossi. Dearie me. Rossi's dodged. I, oh, I cannot believe oh, it. Speed. Watch Valentino what? Rossi here. Watch oh, that. My oh, goodness, my mate. goodness, mate. Yes, he uh, was uh, very, very scary. He's... Uh, uh, all four riders, but especially me, and also Maverick, we were very lucky. Uh, we have uh, we have to to pray to somebody this night, <laughs> uh, because uh, the the situation was uh, very dangerous. And uh, I think that um, it's good to be to be aggressive for sure, because uh, everybody try try at the maximum. But uh, for me, we don't have to exaggerate because we need to remember that uh, this sport is very dangerous and um, you need to have respect for, uh, for your rivals, especially in a track where uh, you go always at 300 km per hour. Marco Andretti will start from pole for the Indianapolis 500 for the first time in his career, having edged out series leader Scott Dixon in qualifying. Andretti was beaten on the final lap of the famous race as a 19-year-old in 2006 in the 104th running of the event this weekend. Stands as his best chance since then to win. Now age 33, Andretti will be looking to secure a long-awaited second win for his family after grandfather Mario's victory in 1969. And finally, a brand new motor racing track has been given the green light with the new $200 million Cardinia Motor Complex racetrack set to be built and able to cater for up to 60,000 fans. It includes a four-star hotel. Plans for the facility were approved back in December 2019, while the planning permit for Stage 1 was ticked off by the Cardinia Council at Monday's council meeting, giving it the green light with the track expected to open. Within two years, a 10-storey, 70-room hotel featuring a rooftop restaurant with 360-degree views and a pool will overlook Turn 1, while the circuit will be able to accommodate up to 60,000 spectators across multiple viewing areas with the use of temporary grandstands. The FIA Grade 2 circuit is expected to host between 5 and 10 motor racing events each year and it's believed talks have already commenced with hosting supercar races while the track will be of such a high standard that it'll also be able to host Formula 1 training. All right, joining me on the line as he always does, Richard Crowell from the race talk, the race talk.com. The race what? I don't know, the race talk.com is what we're talking about. Hello, Crowley. New business venture there, the Race Cork. The Race Cork. My new wine website should be. Well, since you live in South Australia, it's probably appropriate. Well, I like it. We'll work on that. They're all screw capped now, though. They've ruined it for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm well, mate. Nice to, nice to be with you. Four weeks of supercars in a row coming up. How about that? I know, NASCAR That's style. How cool. Thing. Yep, yep. I'm, just, I'm missing out midweek racing. I'm still frustrated we didn't get like a Wednesday night show in. Would have been but fantastic. Anyway. Let's see if the drivers would have liked it, though, as we catch up with the man who's currently sitting fifth. In the championship, Dave Reynolds, Bathurst champion, joins us. Hello, David. Hey, boys. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Thank you for coming on board. There's the first question straight up and down. Would you have loved to have raced midweek? Um, well, I, don't, I don't really know. I'd, I'd, to be honest, it doesn't matter when we race these days. We're all on the road together, so why can't we just knock it over and get it done and move on? Speaking of- but I understand, I understand all the TV stuff. It's all... You know, the whole sport revolves around TV. Yeah. So, you know, that's what TV set goes. Speaking of being on the road, mate, you've been that now for the last couple of months. Uh, spent a bit of time in Sydney, now up in Darwin, then you're off to Townsville. And then you probably don't come home until maybe the middle of October after Bathurst. 
It's a fair yeah. stint, isn't it? Yeah, mate. It's uh, it's a bit of a trip when you think about it. Um, if you told me at the start of the year this was going to happen, I would have told you you're full of shit. And <laughs> and, um, and you would so, have yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I know it's just bizarre, bizarre set of circumstances. But you know, as a category, we're all we're all um, you know, on the road together trying to get our sport still operational and do as much as we can while we can. Um, I left I left Melbourne. Oh, I don't even know, probably five or six weeks ago now. And I went to stay in, in Albury with my folks and um, spent two weeks there and I loved it. Like I'd had the best time ever. I've never actually, never in my life have I left my my place of residency and improved my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went home, my mum cooked meals. She washed and cleaned after me. And it was like I was on a full-time holiday. It was beautiful. Yeah, cool. And then uh, after that, we went to Sydney to, for the Eastern Creek race. And then after that, we went to Gold Coast for two weeks and then we've come across to Darwin. We've been here for uh, a week and a half. Hang on. Two weeks yeah. now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's been yeah, six weeks on the road. It's been um, enjoyable. I've, luckily, I've been able to take my girlfriend and she's been able to pack up her life alongside me and work on the road so she can work at, you know, her normal day job from her laptop. And um, yeah, otherwise, she, if she didn't come with me, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't be having as good a time and, It'd be quite depressing. So I honestly feel from the bottom of my heart how some of the people have left their, you know, their mm. young families, their wives, their whoever they're with behind, and they won't get to see them for up to fifteen weeks. It's it's quite sad. Yeah, it is, and I think everyone who works in and around the sport, even those of us that aren't traveling with the circus, are thankful of that because we can still do this and yeah. the various other bits of work that we've got. Um, your season's a hard one to read, Dave. So far, fifth in the championship yet to crack a podium this year but you've just been quite relentlessly consistent really Third, um, fourths and fifths and sixths solid results how do you judge the first half of your season oh i'd say i'd say average um you know you know we're uh, we're i'm always on about challenging for wings and podiums and being up the front and it just hasn't really come through it's been a been a strange year just in my results as, as you know alongside with all the bullshit we're dealing with it's mm. it's been strange you know we rolled out at adelaide uh qualified in the front row first race end up fourth probably you know the car wasn't that good in the race and then we learned a lot of stuff and then i crashed into my teammate anton mm. you know the second race got a drive-through penalty basically went back to last and i think last and i think i come to eighth or something so i like did a lot of passing my car had good pace and then Ever since then, it's never really been the same. I haven't had as much speed as um, as I'd like to think. So it's a bit of a strange one for us. I caught up with you after that uh, incident in Adelaide, and yeah. and uh, as as we were talking, Anton went to have a look at his car, and there was general remorse from yourself as you sort of moved away from me to Anton, and there was. A real did I burn you? No, 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 no you <laughs> didn't. No, you no, we, we finished, and I could Not see. Fair. I see you. I could see you wanted to go over to Anton, and as I said, the general remorse from you to him was. Uh, you were really annoyed with yourself and annoyed with the whole situation. Oh yeah, you know, anytime you crash into a, you know, a teammate or friend, you feel just shit out. So, um, yeah, I, I generally feel, I genuinely, I always generally feel quite bad when I ruin someone's day or crash into someone or turn someone around, especially when it's your teammate. Cause you know, you see all the boys and girls that work on the team and how hard they work on that car. And then it gets, gets stuffed up by, you know, the person next door, you know, you feel equally as bad. So yeah. And then I always talk about, you know, that happened lap one or two 
and you carry that feeling for the entire race, mm. which was 78 laps or something. So, um, yeah, it's not the best feeling. And, and, you know, it sort of comes good when you get to talk to them and that sort of brings closure to yourself. Um, but it doesn't go away until you actually see the people that you've stuffed their day. On the flip side, Dave, it must have been nice to see him finally crack it for a win because it's been... Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. It's, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? He, he's been an almost man for a couple of years now since he's yeah. got in really good machinery. And, um, he's almost a man. Well, that too. <laughs> but but he's, he's been built up as the second coming in a way, hasn't he? And linking him to different drives. And he's obviously very highly rated. But you can speak from experience. You had a, a stint where you didn't go without winning. What's it like to finally break through and grab that first win and does it make the process easier, like they say in the classics? Winning's easy once you've done it the first time, or well, is it yeah, more kind, a mental mental thing that you can reset? Yeah, kind of. It can make it easier or harder. It depends on how you look at it and what you do after that. You know, if you um, if you win a race and then just sit back and chill out, you know, you're not going to win in the next one. So, you know, it sort of can motivate you or almost demotivate you. Depends on who you are and and you know your you know fears and beliefs, I suppose, but. Yeah, Anton's been, a, he's been, he, you know, I've known of him for a very long time, um, watched him grow up driving, been a very good driver and um, watching him succeed now, I feel like he's my like little brother in a little, in a, in a way. So I get a little buzz when he does well and, and there's, you know, you know, he's in the same team as me and everyone's, you know, in, in motorsport, everyone goes, you have to beat your teammate. But in our team, it's not like that. You know, if, if he does well, I feel great. If I do well, I think he feels great as well. So yeah. You know, it's an actual general general mateship we have as well. You've always spoken about the great relationship that everyone in the team has, uh, from yourself to Betty, from yourself to to Barry, and and all the way across. Has that relationship changed with Barry over the last few weeks since he's been in your ear? On my, uh, no, it's been all right. Like Baz is Baz is doing the best he can with what he got, and you know he's not he's not um, Alistair McVean by you know. You know, he's he's not Alan. I've had the best relationship with Alan. Got all the speed out of the car with him. So Baz's style is a little bit different, and um, it's going to take some time. And we're working through it. Dave, does the fact that you don't get access to a lot of your data until the Monday maybe help you a little bit with that? It's not so much on the fly with you and the engineer on the weekend, or is it actually the other way around? Is it more reactive, more you talking to Barry and trying to work out what you need? Uh, yeah, it's probably you know. Um, being in the category for a while, I've probably relied on that data too much and relied on Al McVean way too much. And you know, now the, the focus has come on the driver and also the engineer to come up with the changes because they know the you know they still have their spreadsheets of you know their balance numbers and what works and what doesn't. So um, yeah, it's just been a bit difficult. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens going into the next Darwin race because this is the first time we've had. Um, the data allowed to, well, we're allowed to look at the data. So you know, it's going to see, it's going to be interesting to see which teams actually are, are smart and make big gains and mm. see which teams don't. So hopefully we're one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a few up and down the lane that could afford to tune up from last weekend. Um, yeah. The problem is in this sport, it's that there's a lot of educated guesses. Yeah. And if you don't have the experience, you don't really can't be guessing anything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, just on Al, are you still in touch with him? Is he still playing a role remotely from back home? Uh, yeah, Al, Al, I talk to Al, you know, every day um, about racing, how we can get faster, how we can win races. And, um, you know, he, I'm pretty sure he relays that message to Baz and, you know, it's up to him to make the best decision possible for us. But, yeah, I talk to Al all the time. Yep. 
I, I can't do it without him. Yeah. We've got such a good relationship and he makes me feel better in the car and gives me the confidence to, you know, to really put the foot down and try that extra little 10th or whatever. So, you know, I'm missing him greatly. Yeah. Baz was pretty outspoken at City Motorsport Park, Dave, about the uh, tyre rigs for that meeting and the, the mix up yeah. of tyres and all that sort of stuff. We saw in Darwin, though, this weekend that even though there was sort of a, a mix of soft and hards, everyone on the same tyres. And I think it's generally accepted the racing just isn't as fun. It's just not as good to watch. The mixed tyre race you're talking uh, about? No, I'm talking about if everyone runs on the same tyres and everyone does exactly the same thing. It's just... Yeah, I don't know. Well, like what my problem is right now is when you have soft and hard tyre and you, you don't have to run both sets or both compounds in each race, you have a situation like we have now. There's there's three races going on right now. There's the so, there's the all soft race, the soft mm. and the hard race, yep. and then the hard tyre race. So you don't really know what goes on. There's only a few, there's only a hand or like a selected amount in each, but then they have a determined winner at the end. So it's kind of really confusing to see who, who, who would be the actual winner if everyone was on the same tires so i think the first round at eastern creek was really good because um the the eastern creek track has enough deg in it like it's very very abrasive and it tears the tire up enough that we were one set short of a perfect you know a perfect um amount of tires for each stint so at one time or another you're going to have to take a pain in one race in one of the three races so that's what created the really good racing um, but if we do that in Darwin, I don't think it's going to be the same result. So, you know, I think they, they, they need to keep investigating new ideas and playing around with what they're doing. I think they're on the right track, but I think they also need a super high deg tire. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> <clears throat> I think they need a super high deg tire that lasts like 10 laps max and then it's down to the canvas. And then that will really throw a cat amongst the pigeons. The pigeons. One of, yeah, absolutely. One, one of the theories I saw floated around was literally a qualifying tire yeah perfect throw an uber soft on shoot out at bathurst whatever it might be and go and do some really amazing qualifying numbers as well which everyone wants to see especially at the mountain but yeah really really high deg that lasts five to ten laps as you said and and would yep. really mix things up it'd be great That'd be, be like great. Form, yep. formula one at silverstone two weeks ago where the soft tire lasted five or six laps before it started graining but yes, it turned true. on the best grand prix in 12 months Oh, no, old mate, yeah. his car was buggered at the end. And exactly he barely right. made it around. It was cool as. For sure. So, I was yeah, hoping I, he wasn't going to win. <laughs> came close. If Verstappen hadn't stopped. Anyway, I know. Could've, could've, should've, would've. But then they said he wouldn't have gone the distance either. So No, he would have blown up as well. You don't really so know. Bottas could have won and would have made the world championship better. Anyway. Mm, um, true. Dave, this podcast of ours goes out via our friends at RadioLeMans.com. They're based in the UK, so their international audience tunes in. Now, they may not have heard your podcast. No. So you don't we, think so? No, I don't know. Maybe. What, what's your, what are your international numbers like? I'd, oh, uh, I don't even know. I, have, I haven't even looked. I don't care. We just <laughs> literally record it, talk shit, and, and yeah. press send and goes, oh, I hope everyone listens. If they but, haven't, though. Tell us about it and how it's going and, and you and Caruse and AVL, uh, how's the how's the Below the Bonnet going on? Yeah, so the, the podcast is called Below the Bonnet. Um, it's basically myself, my mate Caruso and my mate, the journalist, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and we just talk shit. And, but <laughs> besides that, I wanted to start it years and years ago. Um, 
but no one wanted to come with me because I'm too loose and I say some stupid <laughs> shit and get myself in trouble and, and whatnot. So, you know, no other driver was willing to like side with me until Caruso, um, you know, didn't have a full-time driver. He rang me up and said, what about that podcast? You want <laughs> I'll still do it, man. Like, you know, now you, now you can't lose your job. So he can come with me. Um, <laughs> I can, he can watch me lose my job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, we basically, we, we just talk stuff about racing. Majority of it's supercars related, but we're also trying to get into um, things I'm interested in, interested in or like things that um, interest Michael or Andrew or whatnot. So we're, we're trying to get a range of guests and, just talk some shit and have a good time. And if it has to be informative, funny, or I talk a lot of conspiracies and a lot of weird shit, actually. So <laughs> for, for those that haven't heard, and I always, it, yeah. always stand on my dick somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> for those that haven't heard it, it did win the uh, Australian V8 Supercar Media Award for the best podcast yes, last did. year. So it it's not, not that's a, not a, it did for the first time in eight years yeah. or something. I know. <laughs> I feel bad being on your podcast because we're like rivals why? and shit. No, so. we're, hoping it, we're hoping it'll help our numbers. That's why we brought you on. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> a bit of cross promotion. Hey, mate, before no, we, good. before I'm we, here, let, I'm here to help everyone. I know, and we appreciate that. Before we let you go, uh, a quick one in regards to the four weeks straight of racing, as we said at the mm. start, NASCAR yep. style. Uh, thoughts on it? Is it something that we can bring into racing in 2021 and beyond? Oh, actually, I don't mind it. I think, you know, um, to get the season over and done with it, you know, quickly is good. I think, um, you know, going on the road's awesome. It depends on who you hang out with. If you really like your team, it's great. If you if you don't, it's probably going to be a drag. But, <laughs> you know, like it's, I think the, the consistency for the championship and, you know, the viewership and hopefully that grows and people are a bit more excited about it. And, you know, I, I, you know, as a racing driver, all you want to do is race cars. So to race every weekend, it's, you know, your dream come true. I think the worst I ever got to in my previous life or like when I was sort of coming up, I did Korea Cup in New Zealand. I did supercars over here and I think I raced like seven or eight weekends in a row. And at the mm. end, I was buggered. Yeah. Plus all the yeah. travel, the international travel. And I was just spent at the end. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it because, uh, you know, in between all the races, there's not a lot of things you can do. There's not a lot of appearances to do except for Zoom meetings or Skype <laughs> meetings or whatever we're doing these days. So you know, it's not very taxing on everyone. Oh. Mate, um, just, sorry. Chibex, one last yeah. one from me. Before, I mean, it's a long well, way. Boys, you can talk to me for an hour. I've got plenty of time. No, we've, yeah, actually, got another, we've, we've actually got another guest coming on. So that, oh, who you having on? We've got uh, <laughs> Kevin Fitzsimmons from Dunlop coming on to talk about tyres. Oh, Kevy. Yeah. Oh, do ask him. Ask him. Has he got a bunch of rocks in his um in his <laughs> in his uh in his toolbox to like show Scrub the camera? Because any yeah. do you know do you know what I'm talking about? Anytime there's like I do. you know there's a tire failure or something. Kevy brings out the rocks from his, yep. the top of the toolbox. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask my, him about it. My last, before we get Kevy on, my Sorry, last mate. question. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. It's good. It's a good point. And we'll definitely fire that in. We'll let you know what he said. <laughs> yeah, same um, for me. yeah, we will. Oh, no doubt. Um, I was looking ahead to, to Bathurst and you've got Will Brown driving along with you. He's a really impressive yeah. young talent. I just wanted to talk about him for a little bit. Yeah. He's, love he's talking been, about Will. Yeah. He's been really bright for the last couple of years and, and he's just got that little bit of an X factor as well, but it seems like he fits in really well with the Erebus bunch. Do, do you feel like that's the way? Oh, a hundred percent. He's a big weirdo like myself. I actually call him my son and he calls me dad and my girlfriend, mum. So, yeah, you know, he's, he's like my, my um 21 year old, 22 year old son that I never had. You know, he's just a funny, yeah used car salesman from Toowoomba, like a country boy. And he's just so funny. He got a silver tongue in his mouth. And yeah, um, 
you know, I love hanging out with him. He's like probably one of my best friends for life I'll have. So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I'll get to share a car with him because he's very, very talented, very young, very enthusiastic. And he just brings just another level of happiness to our team. Like he just walks in, big smile, beaming all the time. And yeah, so, and you sort of feed off that energy when you go racing. So, man, I can't wait till the, can't wait till the enduro. And the amazing thing is he doesn't put it on. I've known him since Formula 4 when he was involved there. And yeah, he's always just been this exactly the same, yeah. yeah. Cheeky, Cheeky little bugger, isn't he? He certainly is. <laughs> As you are, Dave, and please never no, I'm change. Not. I'm a good person. No. Go to church on well, Sunday. You, you can be cheeky and good at the same time, Dave. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Really appreciate you coming on board, mate. Go and enjoy a no crocodile steak or something. And thank you for coming on yeah, board. Sure. I won't eat that. Dave Reynolds joining us here on the grid. Thanks, mate. We've had a fair chat about him over the last few weeks, but the man that knows all about the Dunlop tyres in V8 supercars is the Dunlop operations manager. And uh, in particular with V8 supercars, it's Kevin Fitzsimon. Did I say Fitzsimons? <laughs> that's because you said it. It's Fitzsimmons. Uh, Kevin Fitzsimmons. Fitzsimmons joins us on the line for a chat. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. How you going? <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you, mate. You've uh, been on the road as long as the, the drivers have as well. We uh, spoke to Dave Reynolds about that period of time. Of course, you guys are from uh, down in Tarnit in Melbourne, and you've made your way and been out for the last six or so weeks with probably another five or six weeks to go. How's it going? Yeah, it's, it's actually um, it's actually gone pretty quick. It, because we've been so busy constantly the, the whole time, it's, it's, it's just ticked over, you know, the... The, the time of the Gold Coast was a little bit sort of slower and everything, but running back and forward to to race teams and um, and doing a few things there was was uh, passing the time nicely. But um, once uh, the the hot spot started in Brizzy and we sort of basically we were sort of asked to sort of just stay put in the hotel and only go and grab something to eat and that that was about it. Well, that, that's what we did and that, that sort of dragged. So I'm really glad we didn't have to worry about that too much when we came up here and got to enjoy some nice sunshine. So, Kevin, I, I imagine we, we've covered a lot of the supercar teams and their journey, I suppose, from June when they got the phone call to get out. From a, from a Dunlop perspective, what was it like? I imagine Adrian Bird just picked up the phone and said, here's what we're doing for tyres. What do you think? What was your reaction? And how did you, I suppose, put that into action? How did you action getting all the soft and the hards and the various compounds together and planning out this next sequence of events when we still really don't know how it's going to end? We literally hit the ground running. Um, it was it was quite funny. I got the text message from Adrian at eleven thirteen asking me how long would it take you to, you know, pack up and get out and race meetings with the tyres to Sydney if you had to with your crew. Mm. And um, I sort of went back and said, oh, you know, all all being well, we probably knock it off in twenty four hours. And then I got the phone call at eleven twenty seven to say you've got twelve. Oh. <laughs> so it was that quick, you know. And as it was, because. Um, our production is quite a fair way in advance of when the tyres are needed for race meetings. Um, once we stopped at the Grand Prix in Melbourne, it then left us with a situation. We had the uh, three sets of hard tyres and three sets of soft tyres that they had used at the GP um, already left over, but then everything else was still arriving. All the production that had happened in December, January, February, March, April's, just kept rocking in, you know, it was just container after container and then it was getting to the point where the, the warehouse was full. So, yeah, on, yeah we got the, um, the the message to sort of say, look, you need to pack up a race and get going. It was uh, 
organised chaos, but it actually worked really well. It was just a matter of, you know, trying to organise containers to uh, to load to go to Sydney Motorsport Park. So we got that done. Um, we were literally just putting the last rack of tyres in the back door um, of the box and the uh, phone call come through say, oh, did you know Super 2 and Super 3 are running at SMP? Oh, wow. Okay, we need another container. <laughs> so, um, so as it turned out, you know, I got that phone call at 25 past three. We rolled that box out of the door at 10 past five through a heap of wet weather tyres in our B trailer. Luckily, the A trailer was still loaded from the GP, so there was nothing really to change there. Arrowed home, packed some bags. And I mean bags, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew we didn't know how long we were going to be away for. And we crossed the border at 10.30. So 11 hours after the phone call, we were in New South Wales and it was um, a whirlwind. And I I was talking to the boys on the weekend and I really, really wish I'd documented day by day now. We've sort of talked about things we've done and the laughs we've had and all the things. And, you know, step back and whether it comes out to be 102 or 103 nights, whatever it's going to be and everything to write a bit of a story at the end of it saying, you know, this is what we did. And just, just for the three of us, Aaron, Stephen and myself that are on the road full-time, Earl's joined us up here in Darwin. He'll do Townsville um, and future events if we have any uh, in Bathurst. And um, just as a bit of a memoir, you know, I'm, I'm coming up to 30 years. On the 9th of September, it's 30 years since I last missed an event at Sandown. So wow. I've done everything. And it's, uh, you know, speaking to Glenn Seaton a fair bit and everything because of his book, that's coming out and a lot of the memories because I was with Glenn for a long, long time through the 90s and uh, and uh, it, it's, yeah, the is ticking over pretty good at the minute. So while I can actually remember a few things, I should be writing them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, the good news is, is you won't miss an event at Sandown because there won't be an event at Sandown. So, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, the logistics also of it uh, seem to be a bit of an issue as well for the fact that borders are being closed and all that sort of stuff. Have you taken enough tyres for a specific period of time or will you need more tyres to be taken up to Townsville and the like to meet you up there? Luckily, uh, at the moment, the borders are open for freight. So we're able to load uh, 40-foot containers for the double-header events, Darwin-Townsville. We need three 40-foot containers to, to bring all the tyres up. So we're still able to load those at the warehouse in Melbourne and um, put them on the train and ship them up. So we had um, uh, two delivered for the first event in Darwin. The third container uh, came in today, so that's for the second event. So the, the, there was a 288 tyres left over in the uh, in the first shipment that came up that we just stored for the weekend and then shipped them up. So we didn't haven't got the 672 that's needed. You know, and we'll do the same thing for Townsville. So uh, the first uh, two boxes have, have already left for Townsville. The uh, third box will get loaded on Friday this weekend on the train and uh, chuff on up the road there and well, not the road, the track, and um, and we'll unload that after the first event. So you just haven't got to you know worry about another 600 tyres laying around the garage that you really don't want. And just on logistics, obviously for yourself, uh, you're going to have to pack up that truck in Darwin straight after the race on Sunday and hightail it because you've got a three-day trip pretty much over to Townsville, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. It's it's um, it's going to be very very close. The, the teams have sort of all been talking and everything about travelling together. The concern, of course, at night time up here and everything is um, you know buffalo, kangaroos, emus, all sorts of things on the edge of the road. Um, so at this stage, it looks like quite a few of them will head off to Catherine on Sunday night if they can uh, have got the luxury of 
being able to leave their truck driver home for a little while on the Sunday morning so that uh, they're not working all day at the racetrack and they're jumping in the truck. Yep. So um, our truck at this stage is scheduled to leave at 5 o'clock on Monday morning with a couple of the other race teams and um, they've got their plan worked out. And at this stage, park up is at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning in Townsville. So nobody can afford a breakdown. Nobody can afford to lose any time and, and everything. So it, it is going to be very, very tight. But it's just what needs to be done to make it all happen so that the teams get a couple of solid days to prep their cars prior to um, the racing in Townsville. So the critical thing, of course, is going to be no damage this weekend. Um, and I think every single one of them will be getting the tap on the forehead multiple times, uh, you know, be warned. <laughs> it's uh, no damage. It's a risk-free racing sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's 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 uh, tight, but it's it's an adventure, you know. Four races in a row, I and mean, you see NASCAR and other categories do it, and you, you sort of sit back and wonder, well, we haven't had to do that before. So it's just you know, another first after a lot of years for me, you know. So, uh, but so far everything's going pretty well. Yeah, it's been one of those years where everyone's doing new and exciting things for whether they want to or not. Um, now I'm sure that the Dunlop marketing department love all this chat about tires because it, their their mentions will be off the scale, especially with the mixed tires. But I'm interested in your take on it. You, as you said, followed the sport for a very long time. This mixed tire rule, it's it's a love it or hate it proposition. There's no happy medium. It seems in the paddock, people are either completely for it and love it, and I think most of us on this show are are on that camp. And then the other half, you speak to some team owners, they hate it, fake racing, whatever you want to call it. What, what's your take? Um, good for yeah, Dunlop because it sells some tyres, but what's what's your... What's yeah, it's that type of thing. Yeah, it's it's good for us because it gets people... To, and tyres are hard to talk about. They're pretty yeah. boring. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, the only thing that connects you to the road, but there's, there's not a lot of excitement about them. So from that point of view, it's good. But I think um, I had a conversation with Ross Stone when we were up in Queensland and, and the, the most important thing at the moment is we've got to keep everybody relevant. Um, yeah. you know, that needs to be remembered. We've had first podium, first win, first pole position, all these things that are getting thrown around at the moment that probably more than likely wouldn't have happened had we been all soft, all hard, or whatever the case may be. So it's it's opened up a, you know, a few guys to get opportunity and especially airtime because money is insanely tight out there at the moment and going to be for a considerable amount of time. And uh, I think from that point of view, of helping everybody get some airtime on TV and the mid-pack racing at Sydney Motorsport Park was sensational. It really was right the way to the back of the field. Yeah. There was back going on everywhere. So from that point of view, it's been fantastic. I understand the purists don't like it because it's um, manipulated or whatever you want to call it, you know, fake racing or, or whatever the case may be, but um, it's entertainment and that's what we're in is the entertainment business, you know, and that's just need to be reminded of that every now and then. Did you get to that second Sydney Motorsport Park, the first mixed tyre round, and when you saw the amount of degradation they had on the softs previously, were you like, well, oh, this is a bit marginal with five sets? Do you, do you look at that approach? or And do you then talk to your teams and your people in the teams about how they manage their tyres? Do you play an active role in that? No, not really. Um, the, the main thing with SMP, it was so restricted as to where you could actually go. Yeah. Um, being able to go garage to garage and talk to people. I was shooting a, a few text messages off to guys and stuff like that. But, you you know, as far as the control tyre supply, you really let the teams do their own thing. I mean, I wander up and down, stick my head in the door, just give them a nod to make sure everything's okay. But you leave them to their own devices, you know. Um, it's it's not something that we really get involved in directly with the team as far as set up unless things are going wrong and you, you, people are losing their direction and you give them a bit of a helping hand. But there's a lot of secret 
grill stuff goes on up and down pit lane where people are um, there's some very very smart people out there at the moment you know and the the biggest benefit we've got with our tire uh, is that you can put it anywhere on the car at any time so yeah. Um, and we, the classic example was there on the weekend of that um, supercars asked us to rescan the barcodes uh, on the grid and during qualifying, et cetera, et cetera. Traditionally, the barcodes are on the outside of the left front and the right rear tyre. So you go up there and they were all over the place. You just yeah. run around in circles and everything. So guys can swap them left to right, front to rear and everything, and it's a huge bonus. So, yes, the 20 tyres is very difficult, but if you manage it right and you don't flat spot a tyre or anything like that, you can swap them around the car and just get that extra mileage out. The other thing that supercars uh, introduced after SMP2 was no longer turning the tyre on the rim because of the amount of camber they, they run. Uh, it does wear the inside edge of the tyre significantly more than the outside traditionally. And so you're able to turn the tyre on the rim and get even more life out of it. They knocked that on the head. They wanted the degradation. They wanted the tyre to be able to drop off to have the result that we got of, um, you know, guys charging through the field that pitted a few laps later or whatever. We know Sydney's a very high deg track. Um, Townsville probably will be to a certain extent as well. Yeah. Um, our one, because the surface is so good, it, it wasn't as obvious. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those type of things that you just got to sort of sit back and remember the show and the fact that we are on track. Nobody else is on track at the moment and everything. We, We've, we've, you know, got a, the, the e-racing thing was fantastic for capturing a new audience. So, you know, milk it while we can to sort of sit back and say, well, geez, the racing right the way through the field here is really good, not just a couple of guys up the front. So, Kevin, I gather from that answer you're a, a high deg man. You don't mind a track with a bit of deg. Oh, you know, it's yeah, it's if the, because of the nature of the cars, they are so hard to pass and everything that the, the deg helps that a bit. You know, if you, if you give them massive amounts of grip and everything and be able to pass it. A lot of the tracks that we go to, it's very difficult to pass because where the passing opportunities are, the corner prior to it may be a 90-degree right-hand or left-hand corner. You, unless you're right alongside, it's very, very hard to actually pull out from behind them, overtake them and make the pass cleanly. So you you go to Sydney and things like that, it's very, very difficult to, to line them up for a pass for a long period of time, whereas the deck can help there. You know, it's... It's just make them sort of slip slide away in a little bit sort of thing and just put the pressure on to, to cook them a bit more. And it, you know, everyone talks of aero wash and all these other things that are going on at the moment with the cars that are making it hard to pass. I mean, the deg sort of just introduces that other factor into it that, um, that, that can help things to just sort of kick along a little bit, sort of just open, open some opportunities up, which we need. A question I've always wanted to ask, but never have asked of anyone. You might be able to answer it for me. When Supercars Commission make their decision about how they're going to run tyres on a race weekend, what is the process of that? Do they actually call you first before making the decision? Or do they just ring you and say, Kevin, this is what we're doing, knowing that this is how many tyres you have basically in stock? Yeah. The, the situation that we're in at the moment is... Uh, I gave Adrian Burgess a list of exactly what we had. Now, the start of this year, we were basically heading to the new format of uh, fresh practice tyres everywhere else. So everywhere we went was going to be 32 to 40 tyres per car. So when they came back after the COVID shutdown and everything, we dropped back to 28. So we knew we had lots and lots of stock. The only shipment I was waiting for was Bathurst tyres. Everything else was here um, up until... Uh, Bathurst, so I think. So I was able to cancel Gold Coast. I was able to cancel um, 
the Newcastle tyres as far as production goes, and we had everything else here. So the availability was around the 9,500 tyre mark. And I sort of say, right, we had nine sets of hards from New Zealand. We had three sets of hards left over from the from the Grand Prix. Um, so that's where we're able to do the five race meetings of three sets of hards and then add the softs into it from there. So it just gave them some options. So you just say, we've got these two here, here you go. And they went and made the decisions on, on what they wanted to do. So we, we don't really get involved in, in formats as, as much. It's just basically, you know, can you supply this, this and this? And that's, that's what we have. But as I said, our production is a long way in advance. It's sort of six months in advance. The orders are in uh, before race meetings. So changing close to race meetings as far as reducing tyres is very easy. Increasing is extremely difficult. Um, but at the moment, we've got massive amounts of stock there. Um, so we're certainly happy at churning them out the door. Just talk about the supercars relationship, Kev, because it, it's been a long-standing. It's one of the longest relationships in the sport at the moment from a commercial point of view. But because it crosses over so much into that sporting side, Dunlop's been there through, what, four sets of different vehicle regulations now, back from the Group A days right the way through. So... I imagine there's still a very close working relationship, the commercial hat on, but also then from the sporting side where you're always communicating with what they're doing and especially now what they're planning to do moving forward with the new car and the calendar and formats moving forward. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, um, we're having discussions with about uh, Gen 3, looking at tyre development uh, in the early part of next year for 2022, uh, whatever the, that, that may lead to. The current tyre is incredibly versatile the fact that it can most you know, the most tracks you'll go to the compound will work hands down you won't get cold graining um oh the high load circuits being pukakoe bathurst um and you know to a certain definitely when we run there to a certain extent adelaide and the adelaide one where people say oh, you should run the soft tire should run the soft tire the only handicap with running the soft tire at adelaide is the shedded rubber off the things the marbles yeah. around the outside turn eight would be horrendously dangerous yeah. got nowhere to go the rubber hits the track comes back on so that's why we sort of shelved the idea of doing that one but um as far as drawing on um the, the knowledge from days gone past it's it's definitely always there we uh, had a development in 2017 which came up with an exceptionally good tire but the problem with it is it had a very very narrow working window and um, because of the limited amount of testing everyone was able to do guys were trying to find the limit of the tire at the race meeting and we had quite a few failures at Phillip Island yeah. and more at Eastern Creek. It wasn't ideal. The tyre was fine. Um, the tyre was tested at Cowspan in America and came back with some amazing figures. But unfortunately, one of the figures that it came back with, and I'm, and I'm talking like 100 gig of data, it was insane. Wow. And one of the things it came back with showed that the more can be put on, the more grip it made. So, of course, everyone started going, crank it on. And we had guys racing it over nine degrees negative camber at the front and it was just inside edge of the tyre, you know. Um, so that, that makes it difficult, whereas we went back to the 2016 spec, we called it, which is what we've got now, um, and it's not bulletproof, but it's close enough to it, and it works everywhere you go, and that's the benefit at the moment of what we've got, so that makes it very, very difficult to change, you know. So, um, but, you know, the commission and um, the tech department everything all have their input, and there's a good, really smart people on that, that panel with the Gen 3 to, to work out the regs for that. Uh, and come up with something. But the only thing we've got to um, try and get away from is this current tyre thing. When it, the front tyre gets very, very hot following another a car and the, the grip goes away, and that's why you'll see guys 
will reel a car in hand over fist, get right up behind them, and all of a sudden they stop dead. And it's just because it's just caught the front tyres, they just lose all their front grip. So uh, we're going to try and find something a bit more heat resistant. Yeah, okay. So that, that's really interesting. So you, you're saying that's a tyre issue as much as it is these cars producing an enormous amount of downforce, but also very dirty air and being very hard to follow, especially with the little wickers, the gurneys they've got running now. So there's something you can add to the product by tweaking that front tyre for the future. Yeah, it's it's something that the factory I've, I've spoken to them about. It's, it's it's excessive heat, and I'm talking excessive heat. Like it's very very noticeable. Um, the TPMS sensors that we run inside the wheels uh, give us internal pressure and temperature, and you can actually um, see it when you're looking at all the cars in the in the supercar data hub and everything. We can log all the cars at the same time, mm. and you see some pretty scary temperatures here, you know. And it's just one of those things. It's just lose this front grip and that, that's you know whether it be all aero or partial tire but um you lose start losing the thing and it starts understeering that all that does is push the tire temperature through the roof so um we got to sort of have a bit of a play with that one the, the factory have got some ideas as to what they can do what they think they can do that will assist that um and uh, we'll have a crack and you know, the plan is i think to start testing first quarter of next year yeah, um developments traditionally take a, a, a reasonable amount of time because they um you make four, five, or six different specs, sort of thing, and find the one that works. That go and build a, a heap of them in the, in the standard thing, and then you know go to your, your Phillip Islands and Wintons and Queensland Raceways of the world to, to do some testing. Probably back to SMP, depending on what they want to do compound wise. Yeah, that's really interesting. Really interesting. Thanks for that. Um, last one for me, and it's a hypothetical. Put your race fan hat on, and and not your Dunlop one. And there's a whole thousand one reasons why it won't happen commercially. The the most of them all. But is there a part of you from a competitive side that would love to see tyre competition back in the sport and you as Dunlop taking on other brands coming in to try and beat it? Because that mid-90s era, we had four or five different brands and one would be good on one day and one would suit one track and, and it was really just added a whole another layer to the sport. Does part of you kind of want that to happen again? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, I was a big part of that in the 90s. You know, we were... Uh... I was wearing a different colour shirt in those days and yeah. everything. You got a real sense of satisfaction beating the others. You know, it was it was one of those things. The biggest problem with it is the cost is horrendously expensive. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, you're continually trying trying to develop and test, and it's the, that's the biggest issue we would face now of bringing in open competition again or something like that is physically getting not only time and personnel and cars to go and do testing, but it's just the expense. You know, racetracks now are in, in the vicinity of twenty twenty to $35,000 a day to go testing before you turn a wheel. Then you've got to pay $5,000 for medical. If you've got more than two cars running, you've got to have flag marshals uh, there. And there's, there's another expense. And it just keeps going up and up and up. And, you know, a tyre development nowadays, a hundred grand goes past in the blink of an eye in two days. It's... it's it's horrendous. Would I love to see it? Hell yes. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. I mean, it's really funny. I mean, you know, we were driving out of the track on Saturday night and the security guard lady yelled out to me, goes, oh, how'd you go? I said, oh, yeah, we won. She goes, oh, that's <laughs> um, I, I keep telling people I've won more battles than anybody and uh, uh, all these things, you know, the record's getting up there now. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's just one of those type of things, you know, it's, uh, it would be fantastic. You, you, it's, you know, we won again, but we also came last, you know, yeah. and sort of 
you know, somebody sort of says that to me every now and then, sort of, oh, you know, Dunlop wins again. I said, yeah, we also come last, mate. So <laughs> I remember that. But, yeah, uh, a competition would be fantastic if we could uh, back to it. But, uh, unfortunately, I think those days are long gone now. Yeah, I think so. And a final one for me, Kevin. Is there, Has there been any talk at any point about a super, super, super soft, one that just goes off after eight to ten laps? and Quality tyre. A quality tyre that, you know, would be, you could bring to the sport to spice things up even further. Yeah, there has been. Um, we actually did a tyre test the day we got the uh, exit Melbourne phone call. I was meant to be at Queensland Raceway doing a tyre test up there. Um, but because Queensland had already shut their borders uh, from the previous Friday and everything else, um, it was decided that it'd be a pretty good idea if we didn't go. Um, and uh, the tyre that we tested back in 2016 and 2017 was designed around that to last around about the 60k mark. Um, and unfortunately, the test, the tyre that we uh, had sent out here actually turned out to be better than what we've currently got. It didn't drop off anywhere near enough. So um, back to the drawing board, fellas, that one didn't work. So um, it actually was a very, very good race tyre, um, and that still may end up being uh, a Gen 3 spec compound. Um, it was trucking along very, very nicely after 30-odd laps, but not what we wanted to be dead in the water at 18. So I think ideally supercars would love a tyre that doesn't last a tank of fuel. Yep. So you can't get guys to stretch it out. Um, but uh, as for future planning, of course, that means more cost as far as team owners. So drivers would love it. Uh, engineers are probably like it as a challenge. Team owners will hate it because they pay for them. Um, so that type of thing. But, yes, it's definitely been discussed as far as having a super, super, super soft tyre. I think, Kevin, we've just got visions of um, farewelling this current era of supercar, perhaps before Gen 3, with like a, a shootout set of tyres for Bathurst next year maybe and see if we can't crack two minutes. <laughs> Just a really soft, really soft set that only needs to last a lap. I uh, I actually floated that idea um, at a meeting with supercars and our people last year, and I said, oh, we should have uh, uh, the Dunlop top ten for armor or pro position, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, they uh, they come back and said, oh, it's too long for TV. I <laughs> 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 threw the idea up about something special for um for for the shootout at Bathurst would be would be really good, and you know, I just the main thing. With you know, all the things we're talking about after your message this morning about coming on the show, which I appreciate, is uh, sitting back and have all of this. It's a shame that we haven't had a chance to farewell home everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's now looking very sketchy with the announcement today about uh, Tassie borders staying closed to December, Perth looking shaky, um, all those type of things. And uh, there's a lot of people who've been faithful fans for a long time and they deserve a farewell. You know, and it's uh, just damn shame they're not going to get it. So, you know, we'll still have Commodores around. You know, the Colden will be there next year and everything. But uh, uh, this has been a pretty tough year for a hell of a lot of people. But uh, for the fans of the Holden brand, it's uh, been a tough pill to swallow, that's for sure. Uh, final one. Are you preparing to provide tyres to supercars post-Bathurst? Uh, the tyres are here. Soft tyres, by that stage, it'll be uh, pretty much soft tyres only would be available. Um, depending on what happens at uh, Bathurst with Super 2, whether they um, are able to travel out of Victoria into New South Wales and we have a Super 2 race there and everything. If not, then there's the option of the tyres that I've got for them there to be used at a, at a later event. Um, we've still got in the vicinity of uh, 4,800 tyres um, sitting in the warehouse at the moment and that's not including the Bathurst tyres, which have now been re to Sydney. Um, so the, the 1,248 tyres that we need for Bathurst because they're getting 52 tyres a car there this year, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, 
they're uh, they're still available. Um, that, that, you know, that's that not what's in the warehouse in Melbourne. So we've got plenty of events where the tyres sitting there. If they decide to uh, to continue continue running, or uh, if they pull the pin at Bathurst, um, we'll support the decision. I mean, there's not that long ago we didn't think we'd get any racing again this year. So uh, um, you know, hats off to everybody involved because uh, this is been some very long hours by a lot of people to make this happen. And that's definitely goes to you and your crew too, mate. You've put in a fantastic job to keep this whole thing up and running. Thank you so much uh, from all of us, all the fans who have enjoyed what we've seen over the last few weeks. And there's still a bit more racing to come. I'm sure it'll be just as exciting on the Dunlop tyre. All right, Krasi, come to the final segment of the show. And we always introduce one of our good mates, either Dale Rogers or this man, Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Shebexter, Krause, can I start out with two attaboys? Yeah. Yep. Right. First attaboy goes to Shebexter for inserting the drum roll in post-production last week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Congrats. it made me look like an idiot. Thank you. He wouldn't. So, outstanding. No, well done. And my second attaboy goes to Richard Crail for highlighting that national anthem on the weekend. How good was that? Yeah, I've good. gone back and watched it a heap of times today. <laughs> so that, that's how I spent my Tuesday. <laughs> Life is busy in Queensland. No, well, truly one of the more outstanding moments in sport this year. Yeah. Uh, the national anthem in Darwin. If you haven't seen it, head to the racetalk.com, click on the power rankings, uh, power by yellow cover. It made the hot list like straight away. Unanimous, straight inclusion, into the top five, um, outstanding. Like it was only beaten to the top by the fact that friends and families aren't seeing their loved ones for three months on end. If it wasn't for that, this would have gone straight to the very top of the rankings. Outstanding didgeridoo and a ten-year-old and electric guitar. Yeah, I mean, I'd rate it in top ten of the year because I mean, oh, things definitely. like the all time the Victorians being on the road, that's just recurring. That's just a theme for the whole yeah. season. That'll yeah. be number one, no doubt. Yeah. But I think this is right in there with a, a big shout. It was pretty cool. Yeah. That uh, cool. was pretty good. And then we had to endure the uh, Spanish and the Catalonian national anthem, which uh, well, quite, it's were quite nowhere dramatic. near exciting. Quite dramatic. The Spanish one's rubbish. But the, the Catalonian <laughs> one's... Um, look... Written and <laughs> by Richard Crowell. No, look, during the Grand Prix... On Sunday night, I I was I I'd had a beer or two. It was a rubbish race, and it's because yeah. it's a terrible track. And I don't normally put stuff on social media that'll come back and bite me in the backside down the road, right? Because you know you go for a new job, everyone looks at your social media. Oh, he said bad things about <laughs> us. So to the Spanish government, I will say it again: if you were planning to give me an ambassadorship, some form of award, I don't know why. Never been there in my life. Probably not going to go there. Um, I'm Re- sorry. That I rubbished your racetrack, but I mean it. It's terrible, and your national anthem's not much chop either. Richard, never suspect the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> we must never expect the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, Hidden Valley, uh, though, wasn't a rubbish racetrack, boys. It provided good place. some highlights, didn't it? Uh, I think racing on Sunday was probably a little bit more mundane, but definitely uh, Saturday through practice and qualifying in the race there were people spearing off in places they've never speared off before well it seems like now if there's longer than a three-week gap between races we need to give them an e-series just to sharpen them up to return them for racing because it was so good at sydney motorsport park for two rounds and then they came out on saturday and everyone was firing it off the road and we had dangerous rejoins and we had the goat shunting and we had brad jones racing being taken out by shane van gisbergen sort of and 
yeah, it was an insane sort of motor race. The problem with Sunday was that everyone worked out the whole soft hard caper pretty early and everyone ended up doing the same thing on the two races on Sunday. So we didn't get that massive overlap barring a few people who ran long or ran short and tried different things. So it ended up being a soft tire race, which is what we're going to see next weekend with everyone pretty much on the same rubber. But yeah, the old Saturday race was a wild one, all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and what, what has Brad Jones done to the Northern Territory government to deserve the kind of treatment they get every year they go there? Two yeah. cars at turn 10 last year, three cars at turn six in the one race this year. What's going to happen this weekend? Like turn one, they're going to be four wide and just end up down at, I don't know, Palmerston. It's bad. Terrible weekend. So a bit to unpack there. You, you mentioned Wind Cup going off in practice. I've never, ever, ever seen a car go off there. That's just not a place where you crash. <laughs> After mm. 22 years of going to Hidden Valley, no one's ever had a shunt there. But uh, the GOAT managed to do it. And he managed to come back. I mean, those Red Bull cars were pigs to start out the weekend. Uh, both the drivers were fairly vocal about how awful their handling was. But the team that they are, they managed to suss it out. I think the racing on the weekend was pretty standard sort of Hidden Valley oh, fare. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was standard fare. It's, it's a different type of track. It doesn't have that same characteristics that we had at Sydney Motorsport Park where we had guys running three wide and all bunched up at the finish. We've had good finishes in the past at Hidden Valley, but you also have a lot more carnage normally in Hidden Valley. I think this year, only seeing that niggle at the start of race one was pretty unusual for that place. So mm. hopefully they can all keep it nice and clean this coming weekend and uh, we'll have some more boring races, which is a sad thing to ask for. But typically up there, the Biff's brought back more safety cars and they all are bunched up more and have more Biff sort of thing. So it sort of breeds... Uh, close racing and accidents, but uh, they're all pretty clean on the weekend, by and large. As we uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, this weekend's going to be weird, I would have thought, and, and I know we're going to we'll focus on it more, but just running off the back of this weekend and carnage, you would expect that everyone goes super, super conservative this weekend because you couldn't afford to have any major issues with your car on the Sunday. Otherwise, things could turn out pretty bad for you for Townsville. Yeah, but if it's something you can't fix in two days, it's put it in the bin kind of job, though, Shebeck. So they get to Townsville on Wednesday. They've got Thursday, Friday in the garages to rebuild it if they need to. Uh, and if you're not ready, if you're shunting bad enough that it takes more than two days to repair a car on the road, you're not racing anyway. Yeah. It'll be a new chassis job. So it'd need to be a pretty big accident. I don't think it changes too much. I, I don't think you can ask them to go easy too much. And they're not going to because... They're car racing drivers. But, They're going to go out and have a crack. But the race, it's been by by most accounts, it's been bloody good so far since they've come back regardless. Like the quality of racing has been very, very high. Saturday was an outlier. It was one race out of the last nine we've had that was a really messy, scrappy affair. There seems to be a fair bit of respect there. I think mm. that's what that everyone sort of understands what's going on in the world and the pressure that the teams are under and the pressure that the series and, and everything is facing. And in instances there in the past, people would go for a gap that was a 50, 50. Now they just give a bit of space, a bit of respect for what they're doing, which I think is probably a nice thing. No, I think you're definitely right. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Sunday racing boys. It was good. And it was good to see the cream come back to the top uh, after some issues on Saturday for both Wing Cup and McLaughlin in regards to time penalties and the like. And they uh, 
really took the bulls by the horn, took the bull by the horns, didn't they? And just ran with it. Yeah, look, I, I was Mark touched on it earlier. That Jamie Winkup's rebound and indeed Triple Eight's rebound that weekend was outstanding. They had a dog of a Saturday. Cars weren't good. Um, Winkup crashed. They had an unsafe release in pit lane that he got penalised for. Van Gisbergen got into Percat, who got into Hazelwood, and then he got penalised for that. Really off kill today. Full credit to Mark Dutton, who stuck his hand up post-race and said, no, nah, my fault. We, we own that one. That was bad. Um, but the way they turned it around, and, and, and as Mark touched on, shows the champion race team that they are. And, and Jamie was really, really good. Jamie's biggest problem was, was that wherever he went, Scott McLaughlin went with him. And they were first and second or second and first. So from a championship point of view, McLaughlin basically comes out square from where he went in, despite the fact that both he and Winkup had a shocking day on Saturday and finished 20th and 17th respectively. They both lost a load of points. No one got any massive ground in the championship. And in fact, really, it was only Chas Mostert of the top five in the championship. Only Mostert finished in the top 10 on that Saturday race. Mm. Everyone else was outside of it. So... Chaz was the big winner of the weekend and he's actually drawn closer to Wink Up than he was going into it. So, yeah, it, it's setting itself up now with Triple Eight really firing and McLaughlin clearly at the peak of his powers based on what he did on the weekend and what he did in qualifying. Um, it, it's set up for a really cool arm wrestle between the two of them. But, of course, Scott with a 109-odd point championship lead, whatever it is, just has to keep within a few positions of... Jamie and he's got a nice little points buffer, but one bad race for either of them, and the other one has a good day, yeah. that margin disappears or it doubles overnight. So that's going to be really interesting to follow. Um, boys, your thoughts the whole round dealio ground my gears a bit on the weekend, and Neil Crompton exposed the biggest flaw in this because in the final race of the weekend, they were working out the points. And it looked like, as it turned out, that it would be a count back for the winner. And as Neil mentioned on air on television, there's no provision in the ops manual for a round winner result because it hasn't existed for 10 years in the sport. And all of a sudden we've rolled back to it and there's been a push because of the mixed tie thing and the varied races of having a weekend winner. I don't like it. You can't be half pregnant with this. You can't award a round winner at one round when there's nothing in the rule book stating how it's actually managed and judged. Because if you've got two people tied on points, logic says, sure, you finish higher in the final race, you win the round. But if there's nothing in the rule book, if you're a real pain in the ass, you could go and protest that because there's nothing in the rule book that says, oh, I should win. I just don't, I don't like, we don't need to be going back to rounds. It was an, a knee-jerk reaction to what happened at second Sydney motorsport park with the varied results and the mixed tires. That wasn't the case at the weekend. We didn't have that crazy varied racing that we had because it's not such a low deg track. I want both of your thoughts on that. I I'm not on the round winner thing. I don't think we need it. I don't think we've needed it for 10 rounds. And my final point is that we're almost in the scenario where Fabian Coulthard almost won the round without even troubling the scorers for a race win. And that's the last thing you want. Right. So it doesn't upset me nearly as much as it upsets you because I just don't care. I'm sorry. It just, it doesn't matter to me. If the racing's fine, just get on with it. It doesn't matter. I get that, uh, but fa- it, it bash on with it in the TV coverage, on and on again about it. it just, it's a discussion point that doesn't need to happen, Mark. That's my point. But Fabian winning without winning a race, 
good on Fabian because mm. Rick Kelly won the championship by winning one race because that's how yeah, you he still won a race things. though. Oh, whatever. But the thing is, on the weekend. You go back to Sydney Motorsport Park where there was that high tyre deck where there was a compromise in results. You had to give up certain races over the course of the weekend. Uh, there in the weekend, there was none of that. If no. Rick Cup didn't cop his penalty on Saturday, his results for the weekend would have been third, second and first. Mm. There's no compromise there. There's no joke. There's no gimmicks. That was just a, a fair run to the weekend and he, he rightly won it. And who cares? Good on him. I mean, people are all up and about the uh, the triple crown thing. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm I'm wondering why we haven't had it for ten years. I I like it. I, I think it rewards, especially when you have three races over a weekend, plus qualifying, three qualifiers, plus practice, all that. It rewards the team that remains consistent over the entire weekend, not just rewards people for winning a single race and. Other other formulas have just the one race on the Sunday, and that pretty much is them done and dusted. Having the three races over the weekend, I don't mind having a race winner for the fact that people who can perform over the entire weekend, they get something for it. But on that count, Jack LeBrock isn't a round winner. So technically, he goes in the list of having won a round because he won that race in Sydney, but he wouldn't have even been near the podium overall at Sydney Motorsport Park 2 last time out. Oh, so we go retrospective with it, are we? He had it. No, we're not. But this oh, is the theory that everyone's okay. talking about. 16th, 16th first, he'd be nowhere. So Jack wouldn't have even got near a big trophy for the weekend. He would go, you won a race, congrats, but wouldn't have been on the podium spraying the champagne. And that's fair enough. If he's two and 16ths. That, yeah, but well, he won a race. So, but I, I, win the race. Go for the race win. That's, that should be what it's about. And that's what we've... My, my point isn't so much about the round win versus a race win. It's about the fact that there's just we've just gravitated to this because people have said we have to, but there's nothing in it in the rule book to make it a thing that happens, and that that just oh, it's grey area, it's silly, it doesn't oh, well, need to be a discussion point. But put something in the rules then to it won't you. be a problem moving forward. So like uh, the overall points for the weekend were Wink up from Coulthard, McLaughlin third, then Van Gisbergen, and Mostert, Winterbottom, Deeper Squally sixth, then Reynolds. Uh, Courtney and Waters running out the 10. That sounds reasonable. That sounds about... Yeah, I'm not arguing with that, though, Mark. I don't think that's... I don't have a, an argument with that. I just... Why have we gravitated back to it? For, it's a knee-jerk reaction that irritates me, that one round of varied racing and all of a sudden we need to go back to this. Anyway, that's the hill I'm going to die on. What, <laughs> I do want to, what I do want to talk about is our great sponsor of uh, our My Podcast House programs called Manscaped. And, of course, uh, if you want to sort of uh, look after yourself down below, the question I ask is when is the last time you shaved the quarantine bush in your pants? It needs to be asked. And Manscaped can help you out with the Lawnmower 3.0. It's a brand-new model that they've brought out. It's an amazing trimmer, a third-generation trimmer featuring the cutting-edge ceramic blades to reduce grooming accidents. Uh, when I tell you it's premium, I mean premium. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes. So if you've got a fair bit of shaving what, to do... Good grief. What are you doing in 90 minutes? <laughs> you can do the whole family. Wow. Oh, wow. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And when you've got the tool shed over the tools like I have, you need as much light down there as you can. 20% uh, off and free shipping with the code. My podcast house at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use that code, my podcast house, 
crikey, it's time to shave those balls. I'm going to call also the close shave or the, the ballsy run. Actually, let's call it the ballsy run of the weekend. That'll be our new segment. And for me, it goes to Mark Winterbottom. And that running qualifying at the uh, end of qualifying, I think it was for race 14, where all the cars were coming out of pit lane with two and a half minutes, three minutes to go. And Frosty's decided that he's going to stay out there and go on a fast one. And literally, it was like he had turned into Moses. The waters <laughs> just separated. And how he got through all those cars without an incident, an amazing run by him. I agree with that. The margin between that being well-judged and well-managed by the cars he was passing, an enormous accident at 250 k's an hour as he zigs and someone zags coming out of pit lane was tiny, wasn't it? And it's oh, down to one team deciding to not be in that end of session rush in a 10 minute qualifying session. And those 10 minute sessions on Sunday, which probably leads us to another topic um, were fantastic. The, the Saturday sessions continue to be a disappointment where we're eliminating four cars and then five cars to get into a top 15 shootout and welcome news coming out today, Tuesday, as we record this, that Townsville will drop that. They're going back to a top 10 top shootout. 10, yeah. And we'll actually have some meaningful elimination through those two phases. So, yeah, it didn't work again. It was flat. And it's been flat since they introduced that at Sydney. Uh, first of all, back to your point there before, Shebex, the Manscaper. I've got to tell you, that is the most powerful power tool in our house at the moment. What a beast. <laughs> They're impressive. I, I won't go quite that far because I've got an angle grinder not far away from me. <laughs> don't, don't need to change them, Richard. No. <laughs> does your angle grinder have an LED light on it? Yeah, it does actually. <laughs> so the risk is there to complicate them slightly. Um, boys, uh, another topic we should talk about uh, is some big news that, that's come out today um, around the major sponsor of the Super Chip Auto Bathurst 1000. Yeah. And it might not be the Super Cheap Auto Bathurst 1000 beyond this year. Well, that is the belief, isn't it, that uh, mm. Super Cheap will be pulling their sponsorship of the event after season 2020. It's been a fairly long association, that one. Yeah, uh, it's been going on forever. And it's going to be hard to roll off the tongue. I mean, it always used to be the James Hardy 1000 growing up, wasn't it? Then the Toys mm. 1000, that mm. doesn't sound right, does it? So that'll be different. But uh, the rumour mill has Global Parts Company uh, coming in and sponsoring it. Uh, you may know them as Repco or their other brand here in Australia, their other main brand is Napa Auto Parts, which is sort of their legacy parent company brand from the United States. And they've been taking over a lot of little parts uh, stores around the country and they've really expanded their footprint lately. So it's just a matter of what they want to do if they want to push the uh, barrow of the Repco side of things or the, the Napa Auto Parts side of things. But um, that's cool. So long as there's big sponsors... Uh, willing to be in the sport that's a cool thing yeah well what it does show is show the value of the 1000 and super cheap in a statement to news limited said that they weren't going to get into a bidding um contest with a, an international company they had a bit of a jibe about that um which is fair enough they're allowed to do that but their contract was up it was up for renewal and the fact that there's a, a major company that wants to come in and throw more money at the premier motorsport event in the country is great news for our game, especially right now in these conditions. That's outstanding. Be interesting to see what brand they use, whether the Repco 1000 has a great ring to it with the Aussie history that name's got with Brabham and the stores and Gary Rogers and all the way back. Um, but whether they go hard in pushing Napa 
is really interesting. And Auto Action reported as well that potentially they're going to grab the naming rights to the championship from Virgin moving forward. So maybe they split their brands. Repco 1000, Napa Supercars. Yeah. Possible. The thing I'm going to miss is that massive... Uh, super cheap pop-up store. Oh, yeah. It'll right. just be yeah. a different brand, mate. Oh, well, I hope so, because yeah. that is the busiest super cheap store in the country that weekend, because mm. they have absolutely everything. They have a lot of really cool merch. I jammed one up there on my Facebook uh, this week, the, the play mat for the kiddies. Uh, they've got all sorts of really cool things that they uh, get behind the sport, and hopefully Repco or Napa can do the same. Can you just go through that play mat for us? Because there are a couple of inaccuracies in regards yes. to the real-life Mount Panorama. Well, they stuffed up the signs for the S's and the Dipper. They spelt Forest Elbow wrong, and they've got cars going on the wrong side of the road the wrong way around the track. So, I mean, I think the, the editor and the, uh, and the illustrator of the mat have to have a bit of a talking to there. Hopefully, this is something that Repco can um, come in and fix up. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new way of ending the, the uh, Conrod and the chase has just put a mountain there. Yeah. Oh, Makes sense. I bought one for my three-year-old nephew, and he did not care. But he loved the mat. So uh, notice to Repco, Napa, whoever it is, do more. Excellent. Sure <laughs> exactly. fire seller. Hey, boys, we should uh, have a quick chat. We normally don't, in our segment, talk about MotoGP or Moto2. But two of the most, two of the biggest accidents you've ever seen in your life uh, mm. coming out of both those categories on the weekend, how no one died was absolutely beyond me. But uh Oh, gee whiz. We, we talk about guys putting their lives on the line every week when they go out racing in motorsport. Those MotoGP guys, those bike racers, are just incredible. Yeah, they're either completely fearless or completely mad, and it's probably Both. somewhere half a happy medium yeah. between the two. Yeah, that was that was extraordinary. Um, the vision and that vision, looking back to Rossi, who's at full tilt into turn three, and this bike just comes through and brushes past the front balance of his. Yamaha and he jerks his head around to see what on earth it was. Um, it, so it was two, both bikes nearly yeah, took him off within it, a, it, within a meter of each. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? That that is the reason why there are quite often dedicated circuits for two and four wheeled racing and why sometimes they don't translate. So Barcelona, we were all railed against the Spanish Grand Prix on the weekend that it's a two wheel track yeah. and it's great for two wheel racing because it's got fast, long flowing corners they don't often race at those massive stop-go corners for reasons like that because you can fire across the apex on the bike and crash into someone on the other side. Fine in a car where you've got all that protection, but um, not so much when you're on a two-wheel bike and covered in leather. It's a frightening moment. Amazing they got away with it. Speaking of Mad Men, Indy 500 this weekend. Yes. Uh, speeds are up which is always uh, very interesting at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And also this year we're here in the middle of August. So it's not the month of May. Weather conditions could be completely different. Uh, you know, when, when speeds get up at uh, Indy, sometimes they can have uh, very interesting races there. Hopefully they have a nice safe one this weekend. Yeah, Marco Andretti on pole and, and a bit of serendipity there. 33 years since his granddad was on pole at the venue, which is just extraordinary um, given there's 33 cars in the field. It's one of the iconic numbers there. So it's going to be a really good race. The Hondas have been dominant in practice and qualifying in the lead up. So the Chevys and for our own willpower, we'll be hoping that they um, they've got better race pace, but yeah, open field, really, really competitive stuff. But the Andretti cars look real strong early on. Having been there before Mark, as you can probably attest to Richard, the second 
thing, the second best thing to the actual race itself is the crowd. And to yeah. not have a crowd in that venue, we, I mean, we were fortunate enough to go there when there was 385,000 people yeah. at the 100 running. To not have a crowd there, that is just going to be the weirdest feeling. Yep. Yeah, oh, it's, but yeah, that's just the state of the world, isn't it? Yeah. And, and full credit, I, Indiana's been one of the better states, which isn't probably saying a huge amount about the way the Yanks have been going, but um, they've been one of the better states at managing this and their numbers have been lower amongst a lot of them especially in the midwest where it's been going tropo lately so um yeah they made the tough call no crowds roger penske had tried to get it in with 25 percent, which is still sort of 50 or 60 000. um that's not going to happen so no crowds but they've also lifted indianapolis is unique because they block out the indie tv market so local people can't watch it live on tv ideally so you grow football did that for years and years in australia mm. um they've lifted the block out so everyone in Indianapolis can watch it live on TV. But to add some perspective there to the coronavirus stuff, uh, Indiana, even though they're doing well by American standards, yep. Victoria's never been as bad as them no. on any given day yet. So no. that just, you know, you think of the dramas that we've got here and they're a good state over there who are doing the right thing by American standards and we're yep. still doing a lot better than them. So it's a wild world. Yeah. Final thoughts on this weekend, boys, in Darwin. Are we going to see much of the same? Well, it, what, what interests me, Shebex, is who makes a big gain and who, who maybe tries too much and goes back. I'm not sure. So I'm looking at Chaz Mostert in particular. I thought he was really impressive on the weekend, seventh, eighth, and fourth across the three races. Really solid. Bryce Fullwood had a shocker. So they need to get him up the order a little bit in car number two and get him up there with Chaz because they're looking really strong. He's got legitimate qualifying speed. His race pace is really solid and their strategies have been very, very well thought out. So WAU just gaining in strength as they go on. So I'd like to see them have a swing at it and try and get them just a little bit closer and maybe challenge Winkup and McLaughlin on raw speed. And then, um, yeah, the, the guys that had a shocking weekend. I mean, you have to look at Tickford first and foremost. They have to do something this weekend, Shebex, because... Aside from James Courtney's podium, which was tyre-assisted, but still legit tyre-assisted on the Saturday, they had an absolute Barry Crocker of a weekend. So normally after a race weekend, everyone pulls in. They, even if they've had a tough weekend, it's like, oh, no, we've figured it out now. We've got a direction. Yeah. If we came back tomorrow, we'll be right. Hey, good luck. We are back tomorrow. <laughs> so correct. everyone has a good baseline to, to go off. So it could be closer. You could see some surprises step up there in qualifying. Like they've now got some experience on these tires. Oh, well, not necessarily in qualifying. That's going to be the one main difference. Expect mm. the qualifying times to come down because they'll be on the softs versus the hard for last weekend. I think it'll be more of the same. The good teams will still be good. Uh, I think a hard knot is going to be the Saturday time certain finish. Yep. Because early program, the time certain cutoff is 2.48 p.m. local time which seems a bit silly on a Fox sports only race, which will then go into a half hour post race show on Fox mm. sports. So that's just going to be tears. Yeah. yeah. It, it's still the number one most disliked thing in supercars at the moment is time certainty. And we understand why it exists, um, especially on a network TV weekend and they're on channel 10 last weekend and broadly the numbers were okay. But um yeah, it still sucks that we lost We lost four laps out of that race on Saturday that could have yep. completely changed the finish with how it was, was playing out. It would have been really, really interesting to see how grandstandy that could have got at the end. So, yeah, it, it just strikes me as being a bit silly. 
and ratings will suffer this weekend. Everything's been shuffled earlier in the day, Saturday especially, given what's going on in the Territory with the election and the football on that night, one of the biggest footy games of the year from a, a TV point of view, the Dreamtime Clash. So running earlier in the day means lower TV ratings. So that, they are going to struggle with that a little bit. So what's the deal with the election? So they're finishing the race early, so everyone can, can leave at three o'clock. But by then, they would have had 4,000 Guinnesses. Yeah. And then they're not going to be able to vote straight anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if One Nation or the Greens have ever got a chance of getting in, this is it. Just get the drunk voters as they come surely, out of the racetrack. <laughs> surely you'd put a polling booth at the track, wouldn't you? Well, I don't know. Wouldn't you? They'd never planned to run this hard. weekend, Chapex. It wasn't supposed to be this weekend. Yeah, but they've known for, they've known for two weeks. Surely they could have yeah, well, just set a marquee up reckon, with a couple of blokes at a table and said, here think, you go. I think elections take a bit longer than that to organise. I don't know. This is why the UN sends all these people out to third world countries to see if yeah, the elections okay. are being run properly. I know the territory's a long way behind, mate, but I don't think it's that bad. Just wheeling up there with a the card table yeah. instead, of, instead of the valley. There we go. The beauty of Darwin is, is oh, here you're voting for Bob or Tony. is our oh, Tony. Okay. Yeah, move on. Yeah. Yeah, tick. All right, uh, boys. Always great. Another lovely show. We'll do it again next week, eh? Yep, we will. Four weeks of solid supercars. And don't forget, at the Race Talk, get your nominations for the power rankings in four straight weeks of the power rankings. There'll be a lot of hots and knots coming your way. Catch you next week. (laughs) Till then. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.